0: Welcome to the new year, that time of year when we're inundated with endless messages about dieting, weight loss, fitness, and other triggers that make us feel like we're not good enough the way we are. For most of us, this messaging feels quote-unquote normal because it's baked into the society that we've grown up in, but it can be very dangerous to our bodies and to our minds. In this episode, I speak with Anne Poirier, who shares her story of having spent over 30 years in a fitness career, because when choosing her career path, that felt like the best way for her to stay in a body that was socially acceptable. It wasn't until an injury forced her to rethink her relationship to her body that she realized the damaging behaviors that had resulted from the deep rooted beliefs she held, that she wasn't good enough, unless she had a certain type of body. If you've ever struggled with self-doubt related to your body image, you know how devastating this can be. My conversation with Anne reminds us that it's important to appreciate what our bodies do for us, not just what they look like. Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and my personal mission is to help women overcome imposter syndrome and advance your career with confidence. Each week, I interview a new guest to share how they've navigated self doubt to achieve success. The more we share our stories, the more we destigmatize imposter syndrome, recognize that we're not alone, and empower ourselves to access the tools and resources that can help us. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. Welcome, Anne. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today, and I'd love to start by inviting you to introduce yourself.
1: Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Kim. I'm excited to share a little bit about um, my own imposter syndrome file, I guess is the best way to say (laughs) it. Um, My name is Anne Poirier, and I worked in fitness in the fitness industry for over 30 years, And really, my body was my identity. And I think that that's what I always was thinking about. That's what I was always um, acting as if I was the fit person, always worried about what other people were thinking about me, always making sure I was acting according to who I was with depending on if it was an owner of a gym or a fitness facility or if it was the class that I was teaching or any of those things. So I was always kind of stepping into whatever role I needed to step into. So with that 30 years, um, I just had a little bit of a, a switch in the way that I saw myself due to some injury. And so now I work with women, to help them feel more comfortable and confident in their bodies, no matter what size or shape or weight they are, so that we can be more confident and step into being ourselves. So that's what I do now. But I spent many, many years in fitness. So it's been an interesting switch over for my career.
0: That is so fascinating. As I was saying to you before we hit record, this is such an important part of the confidence conversation. And for most of the conversations that I've had so far, we've really talked about work as the biggest source of our identity. And this body piece is so important, especially for women because of the messaging that we've all been given implicitly or explicitly throughout our lives. I want to pick apart your story a bit because there's so much there that I can imagine will be helpful. So how did you get into fitness in the first place?
1: Well, it's interesting because as growing up as a kid, uh, I was a tomboy, but I didn't really fit in with the way I looked with the other girls. So, you know, short hair, stocky build. Uh, I was a chubby little baby. That's the way my dad described me. My mom described me as stocky and sturdy. And I think that those, those words and phrases really planted seeds in my head that I'm not quite right. I was adopted. So there's another little in you know, piece of the equation that's there. And I remember, and I write this, I write, I, I wrote about this in my book, um, Running upstairs to play football with my brother, and he and his friends had this nickname for me called Annie Fanny Farmer. And so they'd have this little rhyme, Annie Fanny Farmer, that they would say. And all I heard was a Fanny. And so it was my interpretation of their words. And I must be not right. My Fanny's too big. And then all of a sudden, the fat word came in, and I just took on this identity of being um, a f- being too fat for who I'm supposed to be. You know, my dad always weighed himself. My mom always weighed herself. It was very, you know, we, we talk about this image, like you shared, in our society and the way that we're supposed to look in our bodies and the way that society has told us and cultures have told us that we should look this way. And that can, can really harm, I think, young girls at a very early age and that's really when my disorder started i had an eating disorder at 12 and that's i just fell into fitness because i figured it was the career that would keep me in a body that was acceptable to society
0: wow wow and it's it's amazing how you're able to go back and connect those dots some of the messaging i think is on the on behalf of the people delivering it, they don't necessarily intend any harm, right? I'm thinking of the, the language that you described as of stocky or sturdy or, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Probably your parents had no idea that that's how you were translating.
1: Exactly. Words. Mm-hmm.
0: Were you able at any point to have a conversation
1: with them later about? That influence? Not really, because I think what I've done is I've taken responsibility for my own brain,
0: mm-hmm. kind of
1: h- holding on to all of these things. You're exactly right. They didn't mean any babies are chubby and cute, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way we describe them all the time. And just those words on top of a series of other events that once I thought in my brain that I was, I did not look right, and that I was quote unquote fat. Um I looked for proof it's that, it's that um, RAS, the reticular activating system in our brain that says, okay, I'm going to buy a red truck for my next vehicle. And then all of a sudden you've just recruited your brain to look for all kinds of red trucks. So as soon as I identified myself as being fat, quote, unquote, I use that term, you know, trying to use that term in the way that I was talking to myself Mm -hmm. and then everything that happened, you know, going to the doctor and having them weigh you, trying on clothes at the, at the girls' department. So there was this kind of a one after another after another that these seeds of belief, I called them, just got planted and rooted in my brain. And then I made decisions around that because that's, that's who I, who I was. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. I have to work really hard to make sure I, I look the part um, and I don't look outside of the norm. And that's really where, the, where my whole fitness career stemmed from.
0: So when you got into fitness and you were there for such a long time, were you aware at, or I guess at what point did you become aware that this was not necessarily a healthy relationship? <laughs>
1: that's such a good question because it really was forced upon me due to um, an injury. So I had an injury in college that just exacerbated as I continued to pound on my legs. And so it was, I was in a hospital room getting ready to have a part of my leg actually broken to straighten my legs so that I could continue to pound on it. When the doctor said, you know, I just want want you to know that if I get in there and the knee's too bad, I'm not gonna be able to do this surgery. And when he left, I knew he wasn't gonna be able to do it. And I knew that now what, now what am I supposed to do? Like this whole flood of emotion came through me and it was, I can look back and say that was the best thing that happened to me because it made me step back from my, my life a little bit and take a take a completely different perspective of where I was going, what I was doing. How was I actually um, being part of the problem when it comes to, uh, society and diet culture and all of that. I was promoting that in fitness, and that's when I really started to shift my thought process around all of it and said, "Wait a minute, there's got to be another way. There's got to be something different that we can do here."
0: Well, it's it's really interesting to me that, and I, I'm not suggesting that you didn't have an array of emotions in response to that, right? But the fact that you're highlighting this, there's got to be a, a better way is I could also imagine a scenario in which you were devastated where this was just completely sweet, pulling the rug out from underneath you and having been, had this identity that was so tied to your body for so long might not have moved you in a direction of thinking, how can I support other women, but might have just broken you
1: in some Mm. way. Yeah. And I, I don't know other than reaching out for help and realizing I was struggling. Yeah, you know, I think the early the early eating disorder and then having relapses and realizing I'm not helping myself. And is this the way I have two daughters, they're adults now, um, young adults. Is this the way that I want to be a role model for them as they move through their lives and being very saddened by the fact that I was not there for them in the way I wish I had been, you know, forgiving myself, obviously, and, and being forgiven by them because I, I was obsessed with other things. But the relationship we have now is so much different and better. So I do believe that there was a driving force with them, as well as just realizing that I was continuing to move towards other medicators you know and when I say that anything else that could numb me from the feelings you know so it was food it was exercise it was alcohol it was scrolling was you know searching through social media right so all of those things to just take your brain away from the pain Mm. and realizing that that wasn't helpful either and yeah
0: yeah. Well, and it's so, it's so interesting too, because I think that we have in our minds an image of what unhealthy medicators, as you describe them are right. And we, we know substance abuse, we know eating disorders um, are often a cover for an underlying problem that we're not addressing. It's a, it's a way of detaching from the pain, but it's interesting because fitness can be perceived as something that's a healthy choice, right? If you're exercising and you're taking care of yourself, that might be seen as go you, right? Like that's a great thing to do. So for people who are listening to this, how do you distinguish between healthy fitness and caring about your body in a way that is healthy and productive versus where it may be has crossed that line into dysfunctional or harmful.
1: It's um, That's another good question. And I really believe it's why are you exercising? You know, what's the outcome that you're looking for? Is it to be stronger? Is it to be more flexible? Is it to be able to, you know, get down on the floor and get up and carry things and, and live your life to the fullest? Or is it to lose weight? And is it to um, shrink your thighs? And is it to make you look different and for what reason. So I believe it becomes the why behind fitness and exercise. And I've actually shifted, I shifted away from using the word exercise a little bit and just movement and joyful movement and what feels good for your body. And if you like what you're doing, you're gonna do it. If you hate it and if it's forced, then you know that's not always so helpful. So, and it's not as sustainable too.
0: Yes, that's really true. And I'll say from my own personal experience, I've certainly had my own battles with this, this whole conversation that we're talking about of um, never feeling like my body was right for whatever comparison group, you know, and we just, we grow up with these expectations and these images and, you know, as I got older and I had kids and I have a husband who loves me for who I am, I started to get a little bit comfortable, especially during the pandemic, where we had you know easy access to the snacks and things, and i I put on some weight and wasn't really mindful about it. And I remember this was probably the first time in my life where I thought, okay, what's my motivation here? what is is this because I'm being self-conscious. Is, is this an extension of some of my other challenges that I face? And I, you know, I really got to this place where I said, you know, no, I'm gonna be 50, not too, not too long from now. I have two young boys. I wanna be able to keep up with them. I want us to be able to go on vacations where we we went to on a national park tour not that long ago, and it was pretty intense in terms of physical activity. I wanna be able to. take part in those kinds of physical activities and to be a role model for them in that way. And that really helped me because it's not only motivated me, I've I've lost, you know, 20 pounds or so since since I started. I exercise more regularly. I feel better, but I'm not tied to this superficial image of, you know, the, the ideal woman on the cover of a magazine. I think because I'm older too, but i really like what you're saying about understanding your why and it's not sustainable to to always be trying to be somebody that you're you're not or to right. to have these re- unrealistic expectations especially as we're moving through different stages of our lives
1: yeah our bodies are always changing Right. And I think when you when you talk about comparison, I think that's a really important thing to talk about a little bit, because especially with social media, there's so much comparison of of happiness, joy of success and of bodies and of beauty and all of those things. And how can we start to model something different for you know, our next generation so they don't have to be always thinking they're not good enough you know, in the bodies that they have? and a lot of the comparison i sometimes i talk about the comparison to a younger you too because a lot of um people that i work with are comparing themselves to a 20 year old person and oh well if i could just if i could just lose the weight because i was i looked good there they're looking back on a picture and i will ask well how did you feel when you were there and they would always say well i didn't like myself when i was there mm-hmm. right because it, In the space, they're always looking for something else, or wanting to be something else, or wanting to look different. So the comparison of not only other people in our world, but comparison to yourself, is not usually helpful because you've lived a whole lot of experiences between, you know, when you're twenty or thirty and when you're fifty. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in there, and a lot of other our bodies change, and they are going to continue to change. I'm not going to look the same in ten years, so. You know, it's how can we start today seeing our our bodies differently and starting to appreciate what they do for us versus what they look like,
0: right? Yeah, that's a powerful statement right there. And I'm curious because this was such a big part of your life. What resources helped you to get from that mindset to the mindset that you have today?
1: Well, I think that body image, when I, when I looked at my own body image and my own kind of body dysmorphia, and I I laid it out on a timeline, I did a little body timeline for myself. So I kind of saw how my body changed throughout the years, depending on circumstances, depending on what was going on. And that helped um, when I chose to switch careers, I went back to school to get my eating disorder certification at a graduate program at my alma mater, believe it or not. And um, where I'd been disordered before, (laughs) but um, so a little bit of memory there, but it was actually really a great full circle. And so some of the resources, Health Health at Every Size is a great book. And Intuitive Eating is a great book. Those two resources have really been inspirational in my own recovery journey. And that's kind of why I wrote my own book was to just share my story and to let people know that they're not alone. And that we have these thoughts and beliefs about ourselves that we can question. Um, There's a couple of other great books, uh, Body Kindness, um, and The Body Keeps the Score, which is really interesting because that's about trauma and different ways that our body holds on to certain things. So there's some really great resources out there around all of this.
0: Oh, that's really great to know because I'm imagining that there are people listening who would think, I don't even know where to start. I'm seeing myself in your story, but I don't even know where to
1: start. Yeah. And in the, in the book at the end, I do have some resources, you know, because I, I ask for help and I think we, we sometimes think asking for help is weakness, but asking for help is the, the most courageous thing we can do because we're becoming aware of something that's not, that is something that's not right with us. And I need some help here. And who do I turn to? What do I need? What kind of help do I need? Sometimes it comes from books. Sometimes it comes from therapist. Sometimes it comes from medication, you know, sometimes it can come from a doctor, but it's, it's seeking the help that you, that you need for what's going on with you.
0: I'm glad you said that about asking for help as a courageous act, because I couldn't agree more. And so this is your work, right? This is what you do. How do you, what are some of the ways that you help people?
1: I listen to their stories and I think one of the biggest pieces of the work that I do is I validate every single thing that people have gone through. I have not had somebody surprise me with any of their story. And I, and I only because I have, I've lived a lot of it, and I haven't lived some of it, but I understand the feelings that are underneath it. I understand the shame, and I understand the guilt, and I understand all of the, the hard feelings that we try to ignore and push down. And so allowing them to speak their story and letting it come out of their mouth actually as a healing process without judgment, and then allowing them to see their story from a different perspective, that it's not them. It's what they've lived through and experienced, but it's not who they are and how can we look at it and see it differently and work because it is what it is. Our past and our story is what it is. And, and so now where do we go? I can't change the past, but I can look at it differently and I, and I can stay in this moment, in the present moment and say, where do I go from here? With all that that happened and with all the beliefs that I held on to tightly, what beliefs are here to stay? What beliefs do I want to hold on to? What, what beliefs support me? What's working? And then what's not really working? What's not supporting me? It might've supported me and been a lifesaver 20 years ago, but now it's not supporting me. And we can, we can actually thank that particular belief system for you know, 20 years ago, helping you get through in a, a really emotional time because it did, you didn't know how, you didn't have any other tools to move through it. And so it helped. You know. So I, I sometimes will say, thank goodness for the food. You know, the food, the food sometimes saves us from ourselves in certain periods of time. And yet now it's, it isn't doing that, serving that same purpose. So how do we move forward from here?
0: I love that idea of recognizing the purpose and the role that it played at a different point and that you simply don't need that anymore. There's another way. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned having daughters. What's it like for them to have grown up with you and your story? You mentioned the, their forgiveness. Did you have conversations out loud around this? How did, how did you get to a better place with them?
1: I, that's exactly what I, I had to do. I first wrote a forgiveness letter, an, a letter. Forgiving, you know, asking for their forgiveness, but an apology to my daughters, you know, missing out on certain events. I don't think that they remembered certain things. Um, I can feel them more than they can remember them, but I don't remember certain events because my brain was somewhere else. You know, I was off somewhere else thinking about this or that or how many calories is it, you know, all the numbers and the things that would go on in my head. And so I missed out a lot on what what they were doing, although I was always present, but not present, mm. if that makes sense. So we did have some conversations as, and as I learned more, I shared more. And I shared the books that I was reading and I shared the the information that I was learning. And I'd had no idea about this and I had no idea about this. And did you know that? And they are, uh they have grown up to be comfortable and confident in their bodies. And you know, I I keep my fingers crossed. My oldest just had a baby and she's, you know, this is my body and she's, she's doing her workouts because she likes to do them and she feels good doing them. She keeps, you know, it keeps her strong, um, but she's like, yeah, my body will be whatever. So she goes in a cup in, in a year. Or so mom, there'll be things in my closet that we'll just have to, you know, get rid of or whatever. So she's very, you know, I just love seeing that attitude around her body changing as she's getting older. So
0: what a gift to both of them, because even had you not had your story, they would have been exposed to the same media and societal pressures that the rest of us have been. And so their opportunity to learn from you and to be able to approach this head on in ways that many women aren't Mm. is such a gift.
1: Yes. And I think that they still, you know, there are still those moments. Because we all get them, especially I think this time of year where it's everywhere you look, and that that always it's always such a hard time of year for me. Even just to see it over and over and over again, and why can't people know the truth about this or the truth about that or all the stuff that goes on in my head? But that's my stuff. It's not. It's not. You know, the, the beauty industry and the weight loss industry are billion dollar industries, so they're going to keep doing their thing, and I'm a person fighting for for something different. And there's a a series of us that are doing that, you know, lots of anti-diet coaches out there now and intuitive eating coaches and body confidence coaches who are doing this work. So there, there are places to go for, for some help and support in this, in this space.
0: That's a really good, um, a a really good sign or it brings me hope too, because you're Mm -hmm. right. I mean, we're having this conversation and January, a new year when the, the messaging is just so loud. And, and it makes me wonder, too, you mentioned this a little bit, but after all that you've been through, do you get triggered? Do you find yourself having to consciously
1: prevent yourself from slipping? Like, what does it look like today? Um, not, not anymore today. Um, I see things and i I more have an anger space, right but i I you know validate that and understand why and where it's coming from, and I try not to push any of any of that on others, so it doesn't trigger me as it used to it i mean even even during healing, there were triggering times, and every once in a while, um, when there's someone close to me that's doing something that I might not necessarily agree with or. I, I just have to have conversations with myself and say this is this is theirs, and you know I can shift my conversation away from body and we don't have to talk about weight. we don't have to talk about body and we don't have to talk about foods we can there's plenty of other things we can talk about. so um, I, I call it my own sandbox, like my body is my sandbox, and so if I want somebody to talk about my body, I'll invite them in, but for the most part <laughs> It's not. It's not their body. It's not their business, right? It's my body, and and their body is their body. So they get to
0: they get to set their own sandbox.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they can play in their sandbox, and if they want me in there, I'll go in and play with them. But <laughs>
0: yeah, I like that a lot. And you know, just one of the things that I was thinking about going back to what we talked about as some of the medicators is you know, if it's a substance abuse problem, it's really hard to go back to any kind of a moderating or moderate, I'm not sure what the right word is there, moderate to drinking in moderation or using a substance in moderation. And so a lot of people who've overcome substance abuse have had to let go of those substances entirely, but obviously we can't let go of food and exercise. And so- when you think about just taking care of yourself today and whatever kind of exercise you do or eating thoughtfully that you do, would you say that it's been primarily the mindset shifts and that have helped you to stay on a path that's still healthy, but doesn't cross that line into the.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other side. Um I think for me it's really tuning into my body and allowing myself to tune into my body you know it was learning how to understand what hunger felt like for me Um, listening to my body after i ate certain foods how does it feel am i lethargic do i have um, a stomach ache or don't feel good or does am i full of energy do i feel good after these particular foods so no food is off limit there's no right or wrong or good or bad It's just how food feels for me. I eat pretty much when I'm hungry, right? So I listen to my body for hunger cues. I listen to my body for fullness cues. I really respect what my body's trying to tell me. Before I was always using something external. I should do this. I should do this. I have to do this. This is the plan I'm on. So it was always an external plan or something that I was following. And now I've just switched it to let me ask me, how do I want to move my body today? Do I want to take a walk? Do I want to stretch? Do I want to do some, you know, some strength training? Do I want to go swimming? What do I want to do today? What's my body feel like doing? And sometimes my body says, let's just take a nap and <laughs> meditate or something versus actually moving. And other times, you know, we do some movement. So it's, it's different. It's a different way of seeing my body and treating my body.
0: Wow, that's so inspirational. It's really, really powerful to hear you say that that's where you are today, having come from such a a long road to to get
1: here. I know you mentioned your book. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, it is basically my story. And at the end of each chapter, I do have um, what I call step backs. So, you know, stepping back from our life and, and asking a couple questions so we can see what has been planted you know what seeds have been planted in our brains and what beliefs are we holding on to and what are support what things are supporting us and what things aren't so there's all of step backs all the way through the book into the last chapter where there's step forwards and I kind of share you know the tools that I used I share the people that I I either followed or read their books I share all of that so my my, it lays out my my journey from in the subtitle is from self-loathing to self-acceptance and that's really it's called The Body Joyful. So it's a yeah, finding joy pockets and peace pockets and love pockets through my days and keeping keeping moving forward. So yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. For your listeners, I would like to um, offer, if they would like a digital copy of the book, I'm more than happy to send them a digital copy. They just have to email me at ann at com and I will send along a an email copy for them because I want to make sure that if people need this book that they they can get it.
0: That's so generous, generous of you. And, uh, you know, I can, I can tell that this is very mission driven for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So I just want to thank you so much for this powerful conversation. I've learned a lot and I know that there probably isn't a woman on earth that wouldn't benefit from hearing (laughs) your story. (laughs) Um, Any final thoughts as we're wrapping up today?
1: well if people do want a a support place a place where there's a different conversation around food and eating and weight and exercise i had i do have a private facebook group it's free um called the body joyful revolution so um we're it's a community of women who are just we share different resources that they might not see especially today you know it's all about intuitive eating and self talk and our mindset and taking care of ourselves and body image so there's a different conversation and a different feel to that group. So anybody is welcome over there too.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And we'll link to the resources that you shared in the show notes too, for anybody who is interested. And thank you again, Anne, this has been such a great conversation and one that I think is really valuable
1: for everyone to hear. Thank you for bringing imposters and this, the imposter syndrome out into the open and letting it be seen because I think it's so important for, for women to be able to see when they're stepping into being somebody that they really aren't and that that we could shine the light on who they are. So thanks Kim for this conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Files. If you're listening to this, chances are you struggle with imposter syndrome or other confidence issues too. One of the most important reasons I started this podcast is because I want you to know that you are not alone. As an executive coach and former high-tech leader, I spent years battling imposter syndrome. There were times in my career when I was absolutely sure that this was the moment that everyone would figure out that I didn't belong in the room. But you know what? It never happened. And through the years, with the help of lots of coaching, mentoring, and other resources, I've learned to help myself and others overcome self-doubt and advance our careers with strength and confidence. Understanding imposter syndrome is just the first step but it often takes more than understanding to overcome it. If you'd like additional support, I would love for you to join the upcoming Boost Your Confidence Bootcamp, where we dig into imposter syndrome at a much deeper level. In a safe, trusted group of professionals who are on similar journeys, you'll get to learn, share, and connect in ways that help you overcome self-doubt and grow your confidence check out the show notes for a link to the program or feel free to reach out to me directly if you wanna discuss it further. Thank you.